0: is
1: real there's power in your name we find hope we trust in your ways we need you Jesus is
0: real but God's word teaches us that the loving heart knows that we love God by loving people now don't forget this In the Bible, we're exhorted to speak the truth in love. Those two need to come together, truth and love. They come together. I heard John Stott in his commentary said this, Love without truth is hypocrisy, and truth without love is brutality.
1: Jesus gave Judas a number of opportunities to get off his path towards destruction, to repent, to change direction. God gives us those chances all the time. Pastor Daniel will challenge you today to examine whether you have the qualities of a betraying heart and encourage you to take that pause God gives you to step away from the duplicitous pattern you've created and take hold of him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 18, with his continuing study entitled, How's Your Heart?
0: The God pause. Can you imagine what through Judas' mind when Jesus says, what you do, do quickly? See, all through the Gospels, we find Jesus giving Judas an opportunity. We're going to see later in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When when the multitudes, the, the troops come, and Judas is there, and Judas kisses Jesus. And Jesus says, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? It's like Jesus is giving Judas one more opportunity, one more chance to stop. But Judas doesn't take it. For so many of you, if you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm the betraying heart, that's totally me. Stop missing the God pauses. The moment that God gives you to realize what you're doing and simply repent. Repent is a biblical word, but it simply means to change direction. If you're on the five, right, and you're just, you can't wait to go to Seattle, but you find yourself going over the Columbia River from where we're heading. Aren't you heading in the wrong direction? So what do you do? You get off at the next exit. You turn around so that you can head north on the five, right? That's textbook repentance. You're going one direction. You realize you're going in the the wrong direction. You get off the highway. You turn around. You head the other direction. That's repentance. Judas missed it again. Again. Now notice, in the last couple of verses here, Judas, the people didn't understand. The apostles didn't realize that Jesus was giving Judas an opportunity to repent. They thought, oh, well, Judas had the money box. Judas is the treasurer of the apostolic band. So, you know, he's just going to go out and get us stuff for the Passover feast. Finally, the betraying heart is marked by greater allegiances. So you know what we learn about Judas in John chapter 12? This is verses 4 to 6. It says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Judas gave Mary a hard time for blessing Jesus because he wanted the money sold to, quote unquote, give it to the poor. But they said that Judas used to take money out of the money box. The betraying heart is marked by a greater allegiance. Judas was the treasurer, but he loved the money more than he loved Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, what is our greater allegiances than Jesus? Is it security? Is it money? Is it the thought of a spouse Maybe a, a relationship. Maybe a TV show or some garbage on the internet. What is the thing that you are more allegiance to other than Jesus? Whatever that thing is, that is your idol. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your 401k. Whatever your allegiance is that is greater than Jesus. That is your idol, and that marks a betraying heart. Now, as we move on, verses 31 to 35, we see the second heart, the people of God, the loving heart. Look at what it says. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we have four aspects or characteristics of a loving heart here. Look at first. Verses 31 and 32. Do you see a word that's repeated over and over and over again? That word glorified. The Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Listen, the loving heart is focused on God's glory. The loving heart is focused on God's glory. See, the reason the loving heart has to be focused on God's glory is because God truly loves people. Without any mixture, an unconditional way, a way that is effective in changing someone's life. And the problem with most of our, our hearts and in the love that we have is we don't love with God's glory in mind, we love with our own glory in mind. Psychologists call this the law of reciprocal affection. I will love people who love me back. So if you give me love, I will return that love to you. It's kind of like if you know the, the TV show Seinfeld. The Soup Nazi. You guys know this? If you don't, go, go look it up on YouTube. It's, it's classic. This guy, if you don't have your order ready, now of course it's New York, you know. So if you don't have your order ready when you get up there, the Soup Nazi gets mad. He says, no soup for you. And he throws you out of the line. A lot of us love the way the Soup Nazi serves a soup. I will love you back if you love me. But the moment you stop loving me, no love for you. I'm done with you. So you don't really love them, you love you. And you'll love people back who love you the way you want them to. That has nothing to do with love. That's self-centered. It's prideful. Self-focused. So the loving heart cares about the glory of God because God, textbook, loves people who don't love him back properly. That's me. We're in worship this morning. And we're singing and I stand with my arms high, my heart abandoned. And I just start weeping because I'm like, Lord, I want to have a more abandoned heart, Lord. I want to say all that I am is yours and it really be all that I am. Every thought, every work of my hands, everywhere I place my feet. Lord, I want that to be true. And I realize that I fall short. I want your glory more, God. The loving heart's focus is the glory of God. Lord, I will love to my own detriment for your glory. That's what Jesus taught us. Now, not only that, the loving heart identity is radically Christocentric. I'm going to say that again. That's a big phrase there. The loving heart's identity is radically Christocentric. Before Jesus even begins, before he even begins to tell us how we ought to live, he speaks about himself First, Look at what he said. I mean, it's just amazing here. He says, the Son of Man is glorified. He's like, I'm glorified, and God is glorified in me. If God is glorified in him, speaking of himself, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. See, the loving heart's identity is radically Christocentric. The loving heart views itself through cruciform glasses, Cross-shaped glasses. In order to truly love, we need to behold the death and resurrection of Jesus in our hearts in such a profound way that our heart gets reshaped into the shape of the cross, cruciform-shaped. Our heart's identity is drenched in Jesus. That's why I say it's radically Christocentric. Maybe the question for us today is, Lord, in what ways do I view myself in a way that is not cruciform shaped, that is not fitted by the cross. Oh, would to God that we would see ourselves radically Christocentrically. And then it moves into how it plays itself out. In verse 33, little children. I love when Jesus talks like that. He's 33 years old. And he calls his disciples little children. I mean, what endearment, what care, what he, you know, these guys are probably older than Jesus. He's like, little children. So It's so sweet and endearing. It says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. and As I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Look at this. A loving heart knows that we love God by loving people. A loving heart knows that we love God by loving people. Our divintimacy with God plays itself out with the person sitting next to you. It is so much easier to say, God, I love you, than to love the person you've been married to for 20 years or 20 minutes. It's so much easier to say, Jesus, I just want to love everybody and then love your boss or love your employees, or love that neighbor who everything about their life is wrong, and they let their dog do their business on your lawn, and they don't curb their own dog. It's so much easier to say, I love you, God, who I don't see, than it is to love the people right in front of us. But God's Word teaches us that the loving heart knows that we love God by loving people. Now, don't forget this. In the Bible, we're exhorted to speak the truth in love. Those two need to come together. Truth and love. They come together. I heard John Stott in his commentary said this, Love without truth is hypocrisy, and truth without love is brutality. That's powerful, isn't it? Think about it, because all of us struggle to love in a biblical way. If you love without truth, it's hypocrisy. There's all sorts of Christians today in the name of, I want to love people, are not willing to call a spade a spade. You do not love somebody that when they sin, you're not willing to tell them. That's not love. That's hypocrisy. So love without truth is hypocrisy. So we want to love people truthfully so that we're not hypocritical. But there's a whole bunch of other us, we love the truth, but a truth without love is Brutality. So we have the truth. We know the truth. And like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're taking a sword and we're cutting off people's ears with the word of God. What did Jesus do when Peter cut off Malchus's ear? He healed him. Jesus had to heal the wound afflicted by one of his followers. Brothers and sisters, let us radically love the people around us. In truth, willing to tell them the truth about what's going on, but loving them just the same. Not being brutal to them. Not hurting them. Not being mean to them. Not in the name of Jesus telling them how messed up they are. Instead saying, listen, we're all messed up, but God loves us. No matter what you're doing today, or if you're in here, or if you're watching on the web, or you're listening on the radio, so no matter what you've done, no matter how messed up it is, God still loves you. So much so they sent Jesus to die on a cross. Would to God that the people of God would be drenched in love for people. Isn't that the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 7 to 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him in this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. God, make us loving people. Enlarge our hearts to have the same bandwidth of love, God, that you have. And not only that, finally, the loving heart is concerned with our witness. Look at verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. By the love you have, one for another. The loving heart is concerned with our witness. We don't just love each other so that church is a big old-fashioned love fest, agape fest. We're just loving on each other. We do this because Jesus says, by this, people will know you are my disciples. By the love that you have, one for another. We live in a day and age where the church is so divided. Not saying just crossroads, but the body of Christ at large is so divided. And there's people, they make their whole living as a minister, ripping apart different parts of the body. And some of us, we love that stuff. Oh, so-and-so's a heretic. And this person says this, and oh, those people are really, really bad. By this, men will know you're my disciples. By the love you have, one for another. Brothers, sisters, listen. A maturing church is a unified church. So, listen, and I get there are some people who call themselves Christians who are so far outside the Christian faith that we can't hold fellowship with them. But we're spending a lot of times ripping up and down people who sincerely love God. We just have differing opinions on secondary doctrines. And that, that is not okay. Okay. The world is watching. A unified church. People from different, yeah, maybe they get real wild when they worship. Maybe people are very calm when they worship. And maybe some people teach verse by verse, and other people teach topically. And whatever. And some people believe Jesus is going to come back this way. And some people believe Jesus is going to come back that way. Either way, everyone believes Jesus is going to come back. Would to God that the church of Jesus Christ loves each other because the world is watching. And the world is watching, and they're not seeing. They're not seeing us Be the way God would have us be, loving one another. A loving heart is concerned with our witness in the community, in the world. And then finally, we've seen the betraying heart. We've seen the loving heart. Now we see Peter, the denying heart. Now I need to make this point. Peter's denying heart is not denying Jesus, but his actions deny his profession. He's saying one thing and his actions are another way. And we're going to see this in these last few verses. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? I like this. The denying heart often has the right intention. It's amazing. Jesus just talked all about love. Peter didn't ask one question about love. He asked about verse 33 when Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't come. Isn't that an adventure in missing the point? That whole section's about love and God's glory, and Peter's focused on, well, where are you going, Lord? Not like, Lord, make me a better lover. And not lover in an intimate sense, but make me a person whose heart loves people. He's like, but Lord, where are you going? See, the denying heart, and Peter's a classic case of somebody who often has the right intention. So for a lot of us, intentionality is not the problem. There's another problem. Look what Jesus says in verse 36. Verse In the middle. Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Hmm. (laughs) The denying heart will not simply listen to Jesus. Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, you cannot go with me now. And Peter says, well, why not? See, oftentimes, for those of us who realize that our actions are not in line with the things we say, oftentimes, the root of it, you're not willing to simply listen to Jesus. When Jesus says, no, we say, but come on, please? When Jesus says, I want you to do this, you're like, well, do you really mean you want me to do that? It's funny. I, I love my kids. Yeah, I feel bad for my kids a little bit because as a pastor, they're going to grow up and everyone's going to hear all these stories about them, and it's like a big catalog of their life through a sermon. But it's amazing that when it's bedtime, my kids will do anything just to get two more minutes. It's like they're going br- to, like, I got to brush my teeth. I got to clean my room. It's like just so they get five more minutes before it's bedtime. But I always say to them, listen, that's great you want to brush your teeth. Great you want to clean your room, but it's bedtime. See, And when when kids do that, we know right away, that's disobedience, right? You're being asked to do one thing, you're trying to wiggle out any way you can. But we don't ever translate that to our spiritual lives. For some of us in here, we know, God, Jesus has said, this is what I want from you. And you're like, but do I really have to? Are you sure? See, honoring God is simply doing what he asks us to do. Simply being obedient Simply listening to Jesus. And Peter's denying heart. Jesus says, you can't go now. He's like, Lord, why not? He's not willing to simply listen. And then look what he says. Again, in the middle here, verse 37, he says, I will lay down my life for your sake. Look at this. The denying heart is presumptuous. You see that? The denying heart is presumptuous. He's not willing to simply listen to Jesus. He's got the right intentions, but he's like, Lord, I'm going to lay down my life for you. See, Peter has got an inflated self-view. He thinks he's got it together. He's ready to give up his life for Jesus. And we all know what's going to happen in a few chapters. He's not even going to be willing to tell a slave girl that he knows Jesus. How many of us, our actions deny our profession Because we view ourselves higher than we really ought to because we're not taking an honest stock of where we are. Peter's presumptuous, and his presumption gets him in trouble. And look at what Jesus says in verse 38. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, The rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Wow. Wow. Peter's like, I'm going to lay down my life for you. He's he's like, look, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And the rooster crows early in the morning. As a final point here, Jesus knows our denials and seeks to restore us. Jesus knows our denials and he seeks to restore us. And if you were to turn to John 21, you don't have to do it right now. You find Jesus restoring Peter by the Sea of Galilee. Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Brothers and sisters, listen. No matter where you are today, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how betraying your heart is, no matter how denying your heart is, and even no matter how loving your heart is, Jesus knows all about you. He knows the whole thing. And he wants to restore us. For some of us here today, that restoration is simply coming to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time this morning. For other of us who've been walking with Jesus, you have a betraying heart. You have a denying heart. You have a duplicitous heart. You're presumptuous, even though you have the right intentions. Jesus knows exactly where you've been. And he wants to restore you. Now, it's interesting. Both Judas and Peter both did wrong. Judas would not come back and repent and ended up committing suicide. Peter wept bitterly came back and God used him mightily. The only difference between Judas and Peter was that Peter was willing to return to Jesus after his mistakes and let Jesus restore him. Judas was unwilling. So the question is, is which one will you be today? Are you willing to own the mistakes? To say, "Lord, I am making horrible mistakes." Return and let Jesus restore. He knows it anyway. Or we can go the way of Judas, unwilling to return. Whichever one we are, would to God that we would be people who have loving hearts. We would love God by loving people. That we would be into God's glory. That we'd let God shape our hearts in a cross shape. And that we'd be concerned with our witness in the world.
1: Jesus is real. The loving heart bears witness to who Jesus is. It loves unselfishly and with an understanding of Jesus' sacrifice. The denying heart, on the other hand, is always asking God, Are you sure that's what you mean? Having heard from Jesus, the denying heart says one thing, but actions say another. In Pastor Daniel's example of Peter, the disciple professes his faith and loyalty to Jesus, but denies him in action. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will address the issue of religion versus spirituality and how our current culture approaches both of these. The missing link in people's spiritual lives is the Holy Spirit. An intimate relationship with the Father requires it. And you'll hear how the goal is not visitation of the Holy Spirit, but a holy habitation where the Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled The Mission Knowing. Until then, may God bless.